there, and welcome to another episode of the How to Start a Startup Podcast by Hyper. On this episode, we have an interview with Hyper CEO Tom West on the Give It a Nudge podcast. They cover a range of topics, including what Hyper does, Tom's background in the startup space, the differences between product and service-based businesses, the effect of COVID on the startup space, and more. So with that, let's get into the episode. the show. You and I have known each other for a long time. We sure um, have. We're just talking about that, maybe eight, eight odd years. Um, and we're at episode number 78. It's taken me that long to get you on the show. That's because you're here in London <laughs> for that a lot of that time. But um, it's, it's super exciting to have you on the show because I think with your story, where you've got a lot of founders talking about the one business, you've got, you've got a whole history of multiple things that you've achieved. And what you're doing now involves you in more multiple founders, very much like what we do as well. So gosh, so many angles we can go to from here. So why don't we start by, tell us what you're doing now, and then we'll sort of go back as to how you got there. But explain what Hyper is and what Hyper does now. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. So Hyper is a startup studio, a tech incubator. Um, We have a four-month program. We help clients from the idea stage all the way through to validating their product, raising capital, you know, pre-seed all the way to to Series A. Um, So we're trying to mitigate risk. We're trying to help clients, you know, founders scale as quickly as possible. Um, we're running that and we're also running a startup community called Apollo, which has around 500 startup founders, investors, you know, angels to VCs, yep. mentors and, and so forth. I love that. I have to say since you've got me on there, it's quite yep. a, you can lose yourself on that, that, that sort of community. <laughs> you can. All right. Well, let's, before we sort of go into some of the more recent stuff, I'd love to go back to some of the things that happened to you when you were younger and more foolish because they're far more entertaining. So why don't we sort of go back and maybe talk about the first time you stepped into the entrepreneurial kind of world and then maybe some of the really ridiculous things that have happened as that happened to all of us over some of that time. There's a lot of stories, disaster stories, good stories. I suppose my first business was Vague. It was an e-commerce store. Um, I was V-A-G-U-E. V-A-G-U-E. And so we had the e-commerce store. It was fashion. Um, We'd go over to New York and do fashion shoots, and it was good fun. Um, This this is going back 15, 16 years. So the back-end websites weren't very, you know, Magento we were using at the time. They weren't very, uh, you know, I suppose, detailed. You couldn't do things uh, like you can these days with yeah. sales funnels and automation. Um, so I suppose good stories, bad stories. Uh, bad stories. Pr- stories. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with uh, one. We we were lucky enough to have a celebrity, um, Christian Stewart, actually, in 2000, and I think it was nine, wear one of our hoodies. Um, How did that happen, Adam? Did you orchestrate it? I've tried. I tried to figure it out for for months, but it must have been her stylist purchased the hoodie for her, and and she was visiting the. uh, I think she was visiting the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin at the time. So I woke up in the morning and hundreds of emails saying, essentially, like what what size is Kristen wearing? What color is she wearing? Um, And it was a random hoodie. It was just grey with a black square. It wasn't very popular at all. I was probably selling one a month. Um, and I saw hundreds of orders come through and, and I actually didn't really know who she was. My twin brother looked over my shoulder and said, that's Kristen Stewart. She's on, on twilight right yeah. now. Um, I, so I had a panic attack thinking, do I have infantry or do I not? Uh, I went down and yeah, the back end website, I would have to manually press on and off. And overnight, the hundreds of orders had come through and I got to the warehouse and there were two or three 
garments. One small, one medium, one large. I thought, what am I going to do? And you're in Australia. This in Australia. Time. Yeah, in, in South Australia, actually. And I was, I was using my dad's warehouse, a part of his warehouse, to have you know, store all the clothing. Um, so I really didn't have a choice other than, you know, being naive, 21, jump on a plane to China. And my manufacturer was basically saying it's impossible to get the amount of orders you, you know, the volume you need manufactured in, in 10 days. Cause I said, I don't have a chance for it to be the standard customs, bring it in. Um, it usually takes around 40 days to get you know, new orders or, sitting there ready to go. Exactly. So I luckily had a good uh, relationship with Australia Post and they could introduce me to a few manufacturers and said, let's not worry about customs, bring it in, having that delay. Let's see if we can manufacture in China and distribute it to each state from, uh, and yet globally from uh, direct from the Shen- Shenzhen warehouse. So, yeah, I jumped on a plane, flew over. Um, I remember walking in to, to meet the new factory that, um, Australia Post had introduced me to saying like, it has to be this, you know, this screen print. This is the quality control process. Um, that about 40 pieces of KFC chicken when I arrived. That was the, the way to, to entertain me. I said, I don't want any chicken. I just need these orders to get through. Cause every, every hour there was a lot of orders coming where, through. We're coming all from the Northern Hemisphere as well. Yeah. Pretty much. Globally. It was the big US blog, fashion bloggers that they got the paparazzi photos and they talked about it. Yeah. So that was, that was essentially, um, US was where most of the orders are coming. A lot from Australia as well. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up getting them manufactured and, and distributed to the customers within about 12 days. So wow. That was, yeah. Didn't did it continue on or was it just a quick spike? And then it was gone? just a quick spike. It was about four weeks of orders and then kind of plateaued. And then frustrating, there were, there were competitors, well, there, there were fakes being, <laughs> being manufactured. So I was, when the orders started coming through the same day, the fakes were getting made. So I was like, I have to get there. I have to get the orders. I have to get the, the, the orders out to the customers. So that was, uh, yeah, stressful realizing I had zero stock, but, but somehow pulled it off. Well, I think when you're 21, you kind of believe anything, right? Don't you just you do. anything possible? You do. Which is a good trait, a very good trait. You should look for that, I imagine, in the founders. <laughs> yeah, now, like, very much so. And so, obviously, that was when you were 21. Uh, we won't go into how many years ago that was because we don't want anyone working that out. But <laughs> if you had, had any other businesses in between that and, and Hyper now, you've had a few, right? Yes, yes. Uh, sort of that journey of, of, of why you chose certain businesses. So, once I sold the business vague, I was really interested in capital raising, mobile apps, and I met a, a couple of my business partners, um, Tom and Matt, and they were starting a mobile loyalty program. Um, I decided to invest in that business and, and help them start a company called Loke. And it's a, a mobile, it's kind of pivoted, it was mobile B2B mobile uh, loyalty, and then we got into a B2C mobile payments, and yep. then back into large quick service retail um, with, the, with the data data for the people over here play, um, and payments, the so QR codes and, and, and ordering. So I got into that with the guys, and, and we built that up uh, over many years, and left uh, after around six years, I started the Hyper. Yep. Um, I suppose to go into that story, it was just – watching what happened in the US and what 
why Combinator was able to achieve, um, you know, with the likes of Airbnb. Still going strong. Yeah, very. And I, you know, did a lot of research, realized that there wasn't a good incubator um, or startup studio from my point of view. Uh, There are a couple, but, you know, I wanted to to basically create Hyper and and help first-time founders mitigate as much risk as possible. There's, there's a lot of mistakes founders can make and that's yeah. get really excited, design and develop the app without knowing what a term sheet is, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I realized that's what we need to build. Where'd the name come from? Hyper, excited. <laughs> <laughs> it just came to us. Well, I think we were brainstorming 2015 and, and we loved it. It was simple, quick, easy to remember. Um, we could get an okay domain and, and went from there. Okay. And now it's massive. So you're obviously here running the UK business. You've been mm-hmm. here for mm-hmm. four years yeah almost four years almost four years yeah and um and then you had obviously the four years previous in australia mm-hmm. is there, have you found that uh, sort of the business here has grown quicker because of the population you know, there's that many more founders or is it, is it pretty much even or how's that it's growing really well in the uk australia is still the dominant market for us because yeah. we have that extra four or five years of kind yeah. of brand awareness and partnerships um, but yeah, I, I traveled a bit. We've got an office in Eastern Europe and quite a few, few, uh, staff members through, throughout Eastern Europe and then London, Melbourne and Sydney. And the reason I'm here is I, I think I have a couple of mentors. One EY said to me, have you heard about SEIS? And that's where there's 50% instant tax relief for investors investing in an early stage business and then further 25% loss relief. Uh, so I thought, wow, how, it's going to make it a lot easier to raise that first £150,000. So yeah. uh, that's where, why we, we landed, we tested the market, we went out and got as many partners, investors, and network um, developed and built, and then started the, the startup studio and paid incubator program here. Okay. Now, it's a very different business than a lot of the ones we have on because you're essentially, it's it's not a product business, but it's not a services business. It's kind of a, a bit of a, a bit of a mix, mm-hmm. right? And so, I do a lot of talks on businesses and the difference between growing services and products are massive. What do you think's been? And this is great from a services point of view. We don't have a lot of people who run services businesses on. What do you think's the hardest thing that's happened to you, or or in in scaling maybe around services businesses mm-hmm. because they're so different. It is. I mean, you need to be on the ball. You need to be hiring the right talent. You need to be tracking exactly what they're doing. You need to be running a rolling financial forecast at all times. There can't be guessing games. You can't you know, forget that you have to pay a, you know, three months of a commercial lease as a deposit. There's yeah. every single month that those projections have to be spot on. Yeah. Um, in a service-based business, there's there's not huge margins. And, um, you know, if, if you make a few mistakes, you can, you know, have a disaster quarter and and you can be trading insolvently. So you really need to be, you know, ahead of the game. You need to have the right team and and really understand those financials. Okay. Now I asked this question earlier and I got I thought it was going to be a hard question. I asked someone else this question and it wasn't, but I'm going to ask you this question as well. What's been the easiest thing? And we'll talk about hyper specifically. Mm -hmm. What's been the easiest thing? People don't ever ask that question. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose the easiest thing I mean, I never thought we'd be able to – we've got some amazing case studies right now and some amazing success stories. I, it, it definitely wasn't easy. I suppose something that makes running the business easy is having such a sensational business partner that understands 
you know, product and development and is the co-CEO, but um, he makes running the business very easy from, from that side of things. And, yeah. and I'm more on the sales capital raising side. Yeah. So he, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him and, well, I know him not. He would be good at the capital raising side. So he'd probably say the same about it. He's good. He's good. But yeah, when it comes to, you know, product, he's world class. And to be able to give that, you know, knowledge to a first time founder that's never built a product is thinking about integrating into 10 APIs and realizing what the long term cost of that's going to be. Um, it's, you know, it's very beneficial for a first time founder. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you have had how many? Founders, have you had through Hyper? Do you know? I mean, you've had a rough idea. Yeah, around, I would say easily over 400, 500. Um, so we take on around 12 a month in each country. Yep. Um, we you know, guide them through our incubator program. We bring them into the community. Um, we you know, introduce them to angel investors, VCs, help them with the product, introduce them to engineers, and, and help them build that team. Okay. If you think about that volume, that's a lot of people, right? I mean, similar to others, you meet a lot of people. I have a lot of ridiculous stories. What's the most, I'm, I'm trying to word this carefully, not what's the most ridiculous product that someone's come to you with, but what's the most ridiculous scenario that has happened? Because, you know, this, the, this journey can take so many twists and turns from any yeah. kind of founder. When you're talking about that amount of volume of founders, yeah. you're going to have some ones that just go really off yeah. for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I mean, off the top of my head, I can't, I obviously can't mention who he is, no, but it was, let's hope he doesn't watch this, this episode. <laughs> it was just an app with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he got points for making him pump iron in a gym, gamified. Now, <laughs> I kind of sat there thinking, you know, okay, well, what we now need to work out is how it's going to be commercially viable because you can, you can build an app, but it's not going to be successful unless the VCs eventually see that, that viable business. Um, so yeah, on a, on a month to month, we, we have hundreds, sometimes a thousand ideas submit every single month And, and to go through them and find the commercially viable ones. There's some crazy ideas. Um, there's, yeah. I saw one, I had this guy approach me at a Microsoft event last week and he wants to build waterfalls. And he wanted to send me a slide deck. I said, sure. So he sent me a slide deck, which is pictures of hundreds of waterfalls. And the, the, the last, there's nothing else but pictures of waterfalls. And then the last slide said, having done a study in, in Sydney, only 1% of houses have waterfalls in their garden. So the market's this big. And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can capture 80% of it. And I just said to him, I said, <laughs> Why do you want to build waterfalls? He goes, because no one's got them. I said, is there an affinity with waterfalls? Did you grow up? No, just because I've realised going to people's houses, they don't have waterfalls. And I just don't know what to say to him. I'll come on to you guys. Yes. uh, (laughs) Something I would say is, okay, it's it's not solving a big enough problem. And also, what's the customer acquisition costs going to be to how many doors do you need to knock on? How many hours do you need to drive around for until someone says, all right, here's 10,000 for a waterfall, but it's going to be difficult. So that customer acquisition cost, I think it's going to be way too high. If he, maybe if he partnered with a, you know, a developer that could then upsell them something else, but I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I, I'm not sure. Not sure. It's uh, one vision. for us. <laughs> but okay. So talk to me about um, COVID. COVID is obviously in my view, I think has made a lot of people entrepreneurs that work some out of necessity because they lost mm-hmm. their jobs mm-hmm. and some, I think they've just had that time and space being at home to think about ideas and, you know, kind of 
some people have almost got this why not attitude that they perhaps didn't have before, which is which is positive. Do you have you seen the impact of COVID on the amount of people that are coming to you, and probably more so the variety of people? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot more older founders than there potentially used to be as well. Have you seen that? Definitely. And as you saw in the last episode, I was with Amber. I was fortunate enough to be here watching that. You know, they wouldn't have come up with the idea if no. it wasn't for COVID. They saw that problem and, and they, they are developing the solution. So, yeah, COVID here and we were, we were, you know, kind of in disaster code red. What do we do as a business? You yeah. know, we've got offices in, in multiple continents and we were fortunate that a lot of really intelligent corporates, you know, good operators were sent home and, and didn't have their, boss breathing over their shoulder and they could get creative and they could come up with that idea and they would come to us. So we were really fortunate uh, in that regard. But yeah, I mean, the first thing everyone was doing, they couldn't go out. So ordering Uber Eats, Deliveroo, um, all these new subscriptions, you know, the HelloFresh. So everyone's just getting into that motion of getting a bit lazier, thinking, you know, technology can solve the problem, which it is. And it's, it's a very exciting time. Do you think, and I think it has, but do you think it's lit uh, a sort of spark that's not going to go away? Because obviously, you know, you look out there now, there's people everywhere. It's the same in, in Australia. You know, the world is is almost living like COVID never happened. You know, it, yeah. it feels like it's over. It's not over, but it feels like it's over. And I think mm-hmm. people, oh, whatever happens and whatever new variant comes in, people are going to approach it for it differently. Vaccination rates higher, all that kind of stuff. But I think we've come into it. I think it's fundamentally changed the way we live, and it certainly has around work. You know, we've yeah. probably accelerated five years in terms of working from home and working from office, that kind of blended approach. But I actually just think the way people think and what people value has changed, and we've seen that in candidates applying for jobs. You know, they used to come to us before COVID and they would say, what's the opportunity for the, the money to go up and what's the opportunity for my next job? Mm-hmm. Now it's not about that. It's what's the working from home. You know, it's, exactly. it's about more about their life than it is about their next job. So I think people have just changed the way they think permanently. Yeah. And I think I think it could take us into this insane period of, of innovation. Definitely. I hope so. Definitely. Yeah, I think... Our, our t- uh, founders are finding it a lot easier right now to get access to talent because there's a lot of big corporations that are saying you have to come back into the workplace yeah. and this talent is saying, well, no. No, I'm talented, I'm a fantastic engineer or or salesperson and I don't want to be back in the office with my bro- boss breathing over, over my shoulder. So they're happy to take a bit of risk, work, re- work remotely uh, and if it's a business that allows you know, Zoom calls and Google Hangouts calls. It's 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 brilliant. So it's gone global as well. I mean, everyone's hiring people everywhere. You know, other countries, they would never even think of hiring them in the next city. Now they're hiring them in different countries yeah. quite comfortably, and everybody's kind of doing it. So everyone's feeling exactly. It's just, it's got to be amazing for, for a business like yours. It's, I think it's just going to be. It's a fascinating time. It is. It is. It's exciting. There's all of this software being developed, like Monday.com, to you know help Slack, you know, yeah. Teams, better that. communication, more living on an island and working as opposed to you know in that sterile office environment that no one wants to go back to. So yeah, it's very exciting times. I think the next three years is is going to be huge growth. There's VCs running check sizes that I've never seen before. Um, you know, funds raising billions, if not you know, hundred billion, like We're SoftBank, still raising. Still still raising. Yeah still raising let's hope it just continues i mean i think there will be maybe a pullback in 2024 2025 
if a recession hits, there's there's obviously going to be um, some tightening tightening up and 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 less um, extraordinary valuations and, and check sizes. But I think for the next two three years, I think we're we're going to have a big run. Yeah, I think you're right. What are the plans for hyper? Do you have any um, Do you have any other countries in your eyes? In the, are you looking at adding on services or maybe taking them further down the journey or past that typical Series A? Is that because you would have some, I imagine, that have that have gone past your traditional sort of. Definitely, Area yeah. We, we've got clients at Series B, Series C. We've we've pretty big been, when they get up there. Yeah, yeah, raising hundred million plus check sizes, and uh, we've been fortunate uh, fortunate enough to have two exits now. Um, so, yeah, I suppose just try to get as many of our clients to the stock market or that liquidity event. Uh, we we are looking at opening up an office in the US in the future. It's probably not on the horizon for the next one or two years. And then it's just building out that community, uh, which which I mentioned before, Polo. Basically, we want all you know, the world's top talent, founders, investors, mentors, um, professional service inv- uh, professional service providers in Apollo supporting you know first second time founders. Yep. It's just so important for a founder to you know assemble a good board and have that advice. They've been there, they've done that. They can mitigate so much risk and and stop founders from making those problems. So over the next five years, it's going to be a big push to just get all of that talent into Apollo. Yeah, and that that's. That community, I guess that can that can scale like any size, right? That's the beauty of that. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I I I loved it what I've seen. I mean, there's so much more you can do with that. I imagine yeah. you've got some very big plans around that. But I've I've loved to see just seeing how engaged people are. You know, you'd have these things years ago, people would join them and they'd never ever look in again. Mm. But that's a very, very active community. And I think that's probably quite a hard thing to maintain, isn't it? The activity. It is. It is. I mean, we thought it was going to be probably more difficult than than it has been because, you know, we create this hyper family environment. We bring them into Apollo and we have a lot of networking events where founders will will meet each other and become friends. So to transition that into an online community, it's been wonderful to watch and founders becoming friends and going out for dinner and putting photos on the platform. Um, it's amazing when you, when you are a first time founder, there's things go amazingly well, but things also go terribly bad. And to have people going through that same experience and journey to communicate with online um, and meet in the outside world, it's yeah, really so beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone keeps saying 3D to me. That's the new thing. I want to meet you in 3D. Yeah. Cool. The metaverse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Talk to me. Um, you know, normally we ask people why someone will come, want to come and work. We will ask that question because you, you know, I'm sure Hyper is still growing. Yeah. But before we get to that, tell me why, if you're a founder and you've got an idea, why would they want it? Why, why, why would they come to you? What's your pitch to someone to say, this is why you need to join the Hyper? Yeah. So the first thing is usually if you've got an idea, slow down. If you're a first-time founder and you haven't been through you know, launching a tech business, there's a lot to consider. The absolute last thing you want to do is get excited, speak to a developer and start developing it. Um, so it's a good idea to come to Hyper because we've got the right you know, mentors uh, to basically educate and tr- teach you what the process must look like and things like what a VC wants to see in six to 12 months. What are the metrics? What's your customer acquisition cost? What's your lifetime value? If you get that wrong, which we see a lot, people coming to us, they've built an MVP, but they don't know what their lifetime value is going to be, customer acquisition cost. It's like, you know, you've you've got ahead of yourself and you need to slow down. So, um, yeah, we've got 
an amazing product team, uh, UX and UI designers, are the top one two percent um, in the industry. We've we've won some really good uh, design awards with with their support. Really good dev partners, and you know we just want to mitigate risk for them. So yeah. come to us. Let's slow down, create a good plan to to make sure it's going to be a success. Absolutely. And then on the other side of it, because you will have to grab if it keeps going this way, yep. why would someone want to come and work? Like whether it be in Sydney, whether it be in here, or whether it be in the US sometimes. Yeah. In the so I suppose it's not a boring it's not a boring job every day is different um, every day you're hearing five to ten new ideas yep. some you straight away think this is going to be a unicorn like this, this is going to be the most exciting two three years yeah amble for instance you know six months ago so the previous episode amble that six months ago they were just in the idea phase to watch and help a business grow like that is is pretty exciting so you're waking up every morning um, you know with not knowing exactly what you're going to hear it's it's exciting so that um, family environment, we really push the hyper family. We yeah. don't want to, we want everyone feeling you know included, um, and yeah, it's a great place to work. So definitely, definitely send your your CV CV over because we are hiring. Absolutely. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, after eight years of knowing you, I finally know what you do, which is good. I'm excited. I finally understand your brilliance properly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, it's Pete. It's so cool to come and see you here in London, and, and I know you guys come back to, to Sydney quite a bit, so I'll see you again later in the year. But be definitely good to have you on finally. Hundred percent. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Start a Startup, brought to you by Hyper. Do you have a product or business idea but don't know where to start? Visit us at hyperhq.com and book a free confidential session with a Hyper business mentor to discuss your idea and how to make it a reality. We'd love to talk. And that's all for this week. See you next time. Mm.